As Brett Kavanaugh takes his seat on the Supreme Court, the left copes in mature, considered fashion. Or not. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, man, we have a lot going on today. We're going to get to all the news in just a second. First, I want to let you know that tonight is round two, my next stop in my YAF tour. It takes me to University of Buffalo. So if you are anywhere near or around the Buffalo area, starting at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific, you can actually watch me dismantle the left, both in person and online at yaf.org live. That's yaf.org live. Make sure to bring your tumblers to collect leftist tears because there's a tidal wave over the weekend. And I know that we have to somehow contain those leftist tears somewhere. So the, the tumblers will come in handy. Also, also, before we get into the news, I want to remind you that you don't actually have to go to the post office. The post office is great. There's a lot of great stuff there. But why do you want to get in the car and spend the time going down to the post office when you can just sit at your desk and instead get all the great services of the post office right there? With stamps.com, you can get all the amazing services of the post office directly from your desk 24-7 when it is convenient for you. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter and any package using your own computer and printer. Mail carrier picks it up. You click, print, mail, you're done. We've used stamps.com at the office, Daily Wire, for quite a while. We save ourselves time and money that way. Plus, we have a digital scale that allows us to calculate exact postage. Well, you can do that, too, because right now, using promo code Shapiro, you get up to 55 bucks of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. When you go to stamps.com, before you do anything else, you click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and you type in Shapiro. That's stamps.com. Promo code Shapiro. Again, you get that special deal. Post office has a lot of great stuff, but there's no reason for you to have to go there. Instead, you can just do it directly from your desk. Go to stamps.com. Use that promo code Shapiro. And again, get 55 bucks of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial when you do. Stamps.com. Use promo code Shapiro. Okay, so over the weekend, Democrats really handled the Brett Kavanaugh vote, I think, with great aplomb, dignity, poise. Folks on the left really, you know, they, they really, I think, showed tremendous maturity when they realized that Brett Kavanaugh was actually going to be on the Supreme Court, for those who missed it, Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed on Saturday by a 50 to 48 vote. It was only 50 to 48, not 51 to 49, because Mike Daines, who's the senator from North Dakota, had to go home for his uh, his daughter's wedding. And so Lisa Murkowski abstained instead of voting against uh, against Kavanaugh. So it became a 50 to 48 vote. And Democrats responded in their typically moderated and I think modulated fashion. It was really it was really good to watch. It was good to see the country come together after such a rough time because Democrats did, I thought, just a great job. I mean, like here was, is what happened at the Supreme Court immediately as Kavanaugh was being confirmed inside. For those who can't actually see this, there are people who are legitimately standing there beating on the 13-ton bronze doors of the Supreme Court. My favorite is this lady who's trying to pry the door open. She, like like Frodo trying to get into the mines of Moria without the actual passcode. She's just there trying to pry open the doors with her bare hands, though the doors are going to part before her. It's pretty, pretty astonishing stuff. Obviously, people really reacting well to all of this. We have an anti-Kavanaugh protester who started threatening people as well, so that was pretty solid. And like to this, this was good. I, I don't know if this guy was arrested or what, but things obviously have cooled down in the country. There are, and we're not. But there's a lot more of us than there are there. So I'm going to say straight up, when y'all come back, come ready to physically fight these motherfuckers. When y'all come back, if y'all got any guts about you, be ready to fight these motherfuckers and f*** their asses up. When y'all come back, be ready to f*** up a pig. I'm sure that this fellow is, a, is an expert in the intricacies of Supreme Court jurisprudence based simply on the language that he's using. 
With regard to his political enemies, I'm sure that he knows the entire line of cases stretching prior to Griswold on the rights of privacy, and he's just upset at how that line of cases could be curbed by the presence of Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court. Probably that's what's going on. But I don't want to make it sound like it's just, you know, members of an angry mob who are involved in being an angry mob. I mean, they are, but it's more than that, right? It's, it's, it's some of the elites in our society. First of all, I, I'd be remiss here if I didn't note that, that Cory Gardner says that his wife has now received gruesome beheading video after his pro-Kavanaugh vote. Uh, and he's not the only one who's, who's receiving those sorts of threats. Those threats actually are becoming quite common with regard to Republican members of Congress. I've heard from a few of them who have said that this sort of thing is becoming sort of the norm. But as I say, this isn't just the, the people at sort of the, the popular level of the Democratic Party. This isn't just leftist grassroots folks who are very, very upset. We're talking about high-ranking Democratic Party people who have completely lost their mind. I mean, legitimately and completely lost their mind over Brett Kavanaugh joining the Supreme Court in much the way they lost their mind over Donald Trump being elected in the first place. So take, for example, this uh, Maisie Hirono. So Maisie Hirono is a senator from Hawaii, and she was specifically asked whether she believes that people should be confronted, Republicans should be confronted at restaurants and in their daily lives. Watch as she bobs and weaves to avoid answering the question as to whether people should be harassed in their daily lives for the vote on Kavanaugh. I think that it just means that there are a lot of people who are very, very much uh, um, motivated by what is going on. Because what, is, what happened with uh, Judge Kavanaugh is from the very beginning, this was not a fair process. So Did that the going after people no. at restaurants stop? Well, this is what happens, you know, the, the, because when you look at white supremacists and, and all of that, this is what's coming forth in our country. There's a tremendous divisiveness in our country, but... Uh, uh, this is the kind of uh, activism that occurs, and people make their own decisions. Oh, people make their own decisions. Right, but we're asking about your opinion on the decisions they're making, see? Like, we're asking whether you think it's okay to yell at Ted Cruz's wife in a restaurant or yell at Sarah Huckabee Sanders or try and harass senators. You're saying, well, you know, people have their opinions. Yeah, people have their opinions. My opinion is that Maisie Hirono is a completely immoral person based on these statements, or at least she's making completely immoral statements. Yeah, that's pretty astonishing stuff. It's not just Maisie Hirono, of course. You have the members of Hollywood and, and members of the, com the comic community who are joining in. So here is a writer for Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert, as we all know, the finest comedian among us. I mean, just, just a hysterical example of heartbreaking genius. He has a writer named Ariel Dumas, or Dumbass. Uh, I, I hope that, uh, I think that it's probably properly pronounced the latter. Here's what she wrote. Whatever happens, I'm just glad we ruined Brett Kavanaugh's life. Yeah, I have a feeling that's how a lot of folks on the left actually feel these days. So points for honesty. And then you have these, these comedians who decided they were going to follow around Brian Kilmeade. So Brian is legitimately one of the nicest people in the media business. It has nothing to do with politics. Brian is just a genuinely nice human being. He was walking to the subway, I believe, from Fox News home. And comics started following him on the subway and then harassing him on the subway, asking people on the subway to harass him as well. And here's what that sounded like. If you have anything you want Donald Trump to say... Uh, or do tell this guy because he's the only person in America that Donald Trump listens to. I'll literally give you $10 if you ask Trump to resign tomorrow. Look in the camera and you say, Donald, Mr. President, it's time to resign. I'll raise it to 15. 1550. $15, 50 cents, a napkin, five Tic Tacs, mango, passion fruit, smoothie. You're the only person that can stop this mess. Please, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. So much comedianing, so much journalisming. Ah, uh, these folks on the on the left—they they really they're they're really holding it together nicely. I think I think they're they're really holding it together 
in a pretty significant way. Kirsten Gillibrand, by the way, if you, if you think that the extremists in the Democratic base are in no way related to the, the folks at the top of the Democratic Party, all you have to do is, is watch the relationship between the two. Linda Sarsour, who's legitimately a pro-terrorist operative. I mean, she, she actually has stood up for terrorists before. She's radically anti-Semitic. She, of course, is one of the heads of the Women's March. She introduced Kirsten Gillibrand at one of the, at this, at this latest rally outside the Supreme Court. So she, here, is, here is an actual terror supporter introducing a sitting senator of the United States in an event and no one on the left batting an eye. Next up, I want to introduce to you another champion, another one of our people who works for us on the inside, someone who understands that she works for the people of this country, who's been speaking up against sexual assault and sexual violence before there was a Brett Kavanaugh. Please give it up to the senator from the greatest state in the United States of America, my state, New York, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. Oh, how delightful. She, what a delight. And there's Kirsten Gillibrand, you know, a real feminist, standing up there with Amy Schumer as a woman who talked about the great paid maternity leave in Saudi Arabia introduces her. (laughs) Good stuff there from the Democratic Party. President Trump is correct that the Democrats have indeed turned into an angry mob. Uh, And you can see how much of an angry mob they've turned into when we get to what policies they are proposing, because it's pretty astonishing. But here's President Trump hitting the nail on the head. As I've said before, the president is a hammer. Sometimes he hits a nail. Sometimes he hits a baby. Well, Yesterday, he hit a nail, and it was satisfying because he said what is correct here. The, the only thing Democrats had to do, honestly, when Trump was elected, all Democrats had to do was not be crazy. That's all they had to do. They have failed dramatically in that task of not being crazy. Instead, they've decided to go full-blown crazy. Here is President Trump pointing that out. In their quest for power, the radical Democrats have turned into an angry mob. You saw that today with the screaming and the shouting not from the 200 people or less that were, you know what? Those people, they couldn't fit in the front row. Look what we have here tonight. Okay, Trump is exactly right about all of this. Now, what do the left, what, what do the folks on the left want to do about this? Well, they want to do two things. One, they want to come up with systemic ways to change the system. And two, they want to try out a war on women narrative. The war on women narrative is their great hope that they can start a war of the sexes. They tried this in 2016. They said that there was a war on women and Hillary Clinton was a representative of women in this fight. They're hoping that because President Trump is alienating to a lot of particularly suburban women, that they can glom onto that and then they can combine that with enthusiasm for the Me Too movement and use that to club Republicans into submission on a political level. We'll get to the war on women narrative in a second. But first, what they want to do is they want to radically change the system of American government. They're full-blown members of the media. I'm talking about Washington Post reporters today who are shocked Shocked to discover that the Senate of the United States is not represented by population. They are shocked to discover that, in fact, each state has two senators. And then they realize that, wait, Montana has fewer people than New York, which means the Senate isn't representative. Oh, my God. They're literally realizing this, like, right now. It's it's, (laughs) like, I don't know where they've been for, I don't know, the past 300 years in this country. But, yeah, I mean, this is actually a case that they are making Right now, we'll get to all of that in just one second. First, let's talk about the software that your company is using. When's the last time you updated the software your company uses? Probably not recently because you figure it's more of a hassle to try and figure out what software to use and then install it than it is to just plot along using this old software. Except you're losing time and you're losing money. 
which is why you ought to talk to the folks over at Software Advice. When it comes to picking the right software for your business, Software Advice has done all the research for you. Their team of advisors can point you in the right direction so you can start working more effectively right away, and it is absolutely free. Just go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben and answer a few short questions about your business. You'll be connected with an advisor to discuss the best software options for your needs. Talking to an advisor can take just 10 minutes or less. Whether you're a medical professional or a construction manager or an HR pro, Software Advice will save you time and help you make a more informed decision. So if you're an entrepreneur, you work solo, Software Advice is a great way to get an expert opinion, even without the resources of a big company. Go check them out right now. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben to get started. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Now, we here at The Daily Wire are very up on our technology, one of the reasons why we have a successful company, but you need to be as well. I'm sorry, are you using that old... 1997 Microsoft Word format ain't going to work anymore. You can't use, you know, the, you can't use the old, the old spreadsheets that you were using 20 years ago. Go to softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Connect with an advisor for free. Softwareadvice.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Okay, so the media have discovered a few things that they are upset about. So after 2016, they discovered they didn't like the Electoral College very much because Hillary lost. And now they've discovered that there is such a thing called the United States Senate. And that the United States Senate, believe it or not, actually represents a different population than the House of Representatives. Now, originally, the Constitution said that the Senate was not even to be selected by popular vote within the states. Originally, the state legislatures selected their own senators, which was the correct move. That's the way it should have worked, because that meant that there was even another layer between the population and the Senate. See, the founders were actually quite worried about mob rule. They were quite worried about the idea of pure democracy, because they figured that demagoguery could win over broad swaths of the population, and that would enable all sorts of bad things to happen to minorities inside the United States. This is what they're worried about. And so they set up a system of checks and balances to provide for the rights of states while ensuring that if there was overwhelming support for a measure, that all of that would be able to happen anyway. But Aaron Blake over at the Washington Post, in shocking news, breaking news, he's the senior political reporter at the Washington Post. This is breaking news, guys, hot off the wires, quote, People are suddenly deciding that population disparities render the Senate undemocratic. Upon ratification, Virginia had 12 times as many people as Delaware. Disparities are bigger now, but they very much existed when our founders decided on this system. So Aaron Blake is uh, Aaron Blake is is obviously you know actually saying the truth here. But there are a bunch of people in the media who have been suddenly calling on folks to get rid of the Senate. I'm not kidding. There's a, I'm I'm looking for all the tweets right now. But basically, they're making the case that the Senate needs to go away. Or alternatively, they're making the case instead that the that the Supreme Court ought to be packed. So my favorite is Democrats suggesting that Republicans undemocratically got Brett Kavanaugh through the Senate when Republicans had the votes in the Senate. Somehow that's undemocratic. And now they're saying their solution to the undemocratic nature of the movement of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court requires them to add more justices to the Supreme Court in violation of the Constitution. This is from the New York Times today. The bitter partisan fury that engulfed Justice Brett Kavanaugh's Supreme Court confirmation was the fiercest battle in a political war over the judiciary that has been steadily intensifying since the Senate rejected Judge Robert Bork in 1987. But an even greater conflagration may be coming. This confirmation vote will not necessarily be the last word on Brett Kavanaugh serving a lifetime appointment on the Supreme Court, said Brian Fallon, executive director of the liberal group Demand Justice and the top spokesman for Hillary's 2016 campaign. So what exactly are they talking about? Some have gone as far as proposing if Democrats were to retake control of Congress and the White House in 2020 or after, expanding the number of justices on the court to pack it with liberals or trying to impeach, remove and replace Brett Kavanaugh. 
So it's so good news. The Democrats are taking this all extraordinarily well. They just want to change the system of government completely. They want to get rid of the Senate, and they also want to and they also want to increase the number of justices on the Supreme Court because they couldn't win an election. So well done to Democrats. That that's that's kind of tactic number one. Then there is tactic number two, and tactic number two is okay. We'll leave the institutions of government in place, but what we are going to focus on innately and inordinately is the supposed the supposed war on women. So this is one of the great lies that's being perpetrated. It's being perpetrated by folks like Valerie Jarrett. So Valerie Jarrett, you will remember, was a top advisor to President Obama. And she tweeted this out. I think it sums up well the argument being made by folks on the left. Quote, to all of the survivors of sexual assault and women who wonder if they will be believed if they are attacked, know there's a growing, powerful movement of support that will always have your back. We believe you. We will stand with you. We will defend you. Change is coming. So the idea here is that if you supported Brett Kavanaugh, you are ignoring women who make allegations of sexual assault. This is so transparent, and it's really quite vicious and disgusting. I, again, opposed Roy Moore for the Senate in Alabama as a Republican because there is verifiable evidence that he had done bad things with young girls when he was a younger man. I did not vote for President Trump in large measure because of his treatment of women. There are lots of people who are not happy with sexual assault allegations. Not on the left. On the left, they're okay as long as it's Ted Kennedy or Bill Clinton. But there are a lot of people who actually get kind of upset about these allegations. But Brett Kavanaugh's case did not have the required verification or corroboration. Christine Blasey's Fors account sort of fell apart. Susan Collins, the senator from Maine who came out in favor of Brett Kavanaugh, she was basically the deciding vote. She's been ripped apart for what she had to say on CNN, but there's nothing innately wrong with what she said on CNN. Here is her explaining that while she believes something happened to Christine Blasey Ford, she just doesn't believe that, according to the preponderance of the evidence, that Brett Kavanaugh was the, was the guy who did it. I do not believe that Brett Kavanaugh was her assailant. So I do believe that she was assaulted. I don't know by whom, and I'm not certain when, but I do not believe that he was the assailant. And so okay, and that prompted Maisie Hirono to come out and say, how could Susan Collins doubt how could Susan Collins doubt? Well, it's really funny because I remember that like a week ago, literally a week ago, there was a woman named Julie Swetnick brought forward by Michael Avenatti. And she claimed that Brett Kavanaugh had gang raped her or that he was involved in gang rapes. You never hear her name anymore from the Democrats. Why? Don't they believe all women? Don't they believe that all women ought to be believed regardless of whether there is any sort of verifiable or corroborative evidence? But Julie Swetnick sort of disappeared. Boop, she was gone. So not, it's not believe all women. It's believe the women who we want to believe because they're slightly more credible. And then Republicans say, okay, well, we agree that Ford was slightly more credible than Swetnick, but we don't believe that she's totally credible either, or at least her story isn't corroborated. And then people are like, no, 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 that means you don't, you're not believing all women. Right, but you don't believe all women. You don't believe Juanita Broderick. You don't believe Kathleen Willey. You don't believe Paula Jones. You don't believe the waitresses who were sandwiched by Ted Kennedy and Chris Dodd back in the 1980s. You don't believe any of that stuff. It's just, it's maddening. But here is Maisie Hirono saying, how could Susan Collins even have a doubt? How could she even have, because this is a free country where we do not condemn people without due process of law. And we certainly don't condemn people's lives to the ash heap of history simply without any corroborative evidence whatsoever. Well, to say that she thinks that Dr. Ford thinks that she was assaulted, what is that? Is she mistaken? There was corroboration because she had talked about this assault to her husband, to others, before Brett Kavanaugh was ever nominated to the Supreme Court. She took a lie detector test. Corroboration was there. 
Okay, so Maisie Hirono just, again, this is the, the line. So the line is that we may have lost the battle with regarding Brett Kavanaugh, but we're winning the cultural war. The cultural war is going to be that men versus women and that women always must be believed and that men who do not buy in or women who don't buy in are just lackeys of the system. This is, this is the argument being made. So Alyssa Milano was on Meet the Press, which is just because of her expertise in me. So Alyssa Milano showed up on Meet the Press after showing up at the hearing because of Dianne Feinstein, who's a very serious senator, we know. Alyssa Milano on Meet the Press, and she explained we're winning the cultural battle. I think a lot has changed, but I also think a lot hasn't changed. And yesterday, we, we may have lost a political battle, but I do think we are winning the cultural battle. And often, I don't fight for the win. I'm fighting so that generations uh, don't have to deal with the abuses of power that, that we've had to deal with. Okay, so this is, this is what Democrats are hoping. And they are hoping in the most wild possible way. In a second, I'm going to give you the, the article of the day. And this one truly is astonishing because it's just incredible. But first, let's talk, let's talk about your sleep quality. So Bull and Branch can make your sleep quality better. Okay, we're not going to agree on everything. In fact, we may not agree on anything, but we can all agree we can use better sleep. So that's why you ought to have some better sheets. The reality is you don't think about your sheets. You just went down to the local store and you picked up whatever sheets were there and you figured, oh, they're basically all the same. They're not all the same. Some sheets are significantly more comfortable than other sheets. And everything Bull & Branch makes is just top notch. From bedding to blankets, it's made from pure 100% organic cotton, which means they start out super soft and they get even softer over time. You buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to $1,000 in the store. Bull & Branch sheets are only a couple hundred bucks. Everyone who tries Bull & Branch sheets loves them. That's why they have thousands of five-star reviews. Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, all are talking about Bull & Branch. Even three U.S. presidents sleep on Bull & Branch sheets. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. You really have nothing to lose. And if you don't love them, you send them back for a refund, but you're not going to want to because they really are that good. My wife and I have Bowling Brand sheets. We sleep on them every night. We got rid of all of our other sheets because they are spectacular. To get you started right now, my listeners can get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. That's bullandbranch.com today for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets, B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code Ben. That's bullandbranch.com. Promo code Ben. So quick note on the undemocratic Senate thing. So it's mostly, so I don't want to hit Aaron Blake because Aaron Blake is saying the right thing there, obviously. But there are a bunch of people on left, like Daily Coast guy, David Neer. He says, please stop lecturing us about how the Senate is deliberately undemocratic by design. We know this. We point it out because we think it's a bad thing. Except when you thought it was a good thing, like two years ago. Right? Like when the Democrats were in control, uh, in control of the Senate, like in 2014, 2013, then you were real happy with the Senate is undemocratic. It's, it's like, again, <laughs> I, I love this. Walid Shahid, who is a writer for Cynthia Nixon, he did comms and policy for Cynthia Nixon. He said, the Senate is undemocratic and it matters. Alec, Alec McGillis is a reporter for ProPublica, reporter, saying the undemocratic nature of representation in the Senate is unlikely to be remedied anytime soon. Good job, everybody. Okay, so back to this war on women narrative. That, that the left is trotting out. This is best exemplified by a woman named Alexis Grinnell. She has written on gender and politics for the New York Daily News, the Washington Post, and other outlets. So she is a professional useless person. And she writes a piece today that is titled, White Women, Come Get Your People. They will defend their privilege to the death. So what I like about this is that now the left is not just attacking men. Now it's not just a war on, between women and men. Now it's a war between intersectionality groups. So it's black women versus white women and Hispanic versus women versus white women because it turns out white women largely sided with Brett Kavanaugh. 
white women vote Republican more often because it turns out a lot of women actually think individually. Women don't always think like the left wants them to think, which is fine and good. I thought the whole point of feminism is you get to think what you want to think, but not according to the feminists. Here is this insane piece. I mean, this is fully crazy. This is like get the butterfly net in the straitjacket stuff. Here is what here's what Alexis Grinnell writes, you know, in keeping with the the moderate tone of the Democrats lately. After a confirmation process where women all but slit their wrists, letting their stories of sexual trauma run like rivers of blood through the Capitol, the Senate still voted to confirm Judge Brett M. Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. With the exception of Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, all the women in the Republican conference caved, including Senator Susan Collins of Maine, who held out until the bitter end. All but slit their wrists, letting their stories of sexual trauma run like rivers of blood through the Capitol. I wasn't aware that screaming at people was a necessitating factor in them agreeing with you. That if you scream at people about your experiences that have nothing to do with Brett Kavanaugh, Brett Kavanaugh is guilty. But... Alexis Grinnell drops the hammer. These women are gender traitors, to borrow a term from the dystopian TV series, The Handmaid's Tale. First of all, I think that we ought to have a new rule. Now, there's a rule on the internet uh, and uh, about using Hitler. I'm trying to remember the, the rule about using Hitler on the internet. What's it called? Um, there, there's an actual name for it, that the Godwin's Law. So it's called Godwin's Law, that basically the longer an internet argument goes on, the more likely somebody is going to drop Hitler in the middle of the argument. Well, The same thing now holds true for The Handmaid's Tale. Call it Shapiro's Law. The longer any argument goes on with the left, the the more of an opportunity the left is going to have to drop a reference to Handmaid's Tale, the most overrated book of the last half century, and a series that has become popular largely because the media have decided that it is deeply important for women to believe that they are on the verge of being sexually enslaved by men in a society where fewer women than ever in American history are getting married, in which women are waiting longer to get married, having fewer children, and having job and having more, more income from jobs in, than any time in American history. But women are this close. They're this close. If Mike Pence has his way, we're going to stick those women in those red burkas and we're gonna, just going to send and we're going to force them to reproduce with us. That's what we're going to do. If Mike Pence has his way, that evil, evil Mike Pence. So here's what Alexis Grinnell writes. These women are gender traitors, to borrow a term from the dystopian TV series, The Handmaid's Tale. They've made standing by the patriarchy a full-time job. The women who support them show up at the Capitol wearing Women for Kavanaugh t-shirts, but also probably tell their daughters to put on less revealing clothes when they go out. Ooh, they tell their daughters not to dress all skimpy. Ooh, that means that they're bad moms because the best moms tell their daughters to go out in the streets naked. That's what the best moms do. I love that. First of all, I I just have to stop right there. This notion that if you tell your daughter not to dress skimply because she should respect herself more than that, that this makes you a bad parent or a restrictive parent is utterly insane. It's utterly insane. Only somebody who has never really raised children in any serious capacity could think this. Or maybe if you think this, like maybe you have a different strategy. Maybe, I don't know about Alexis Grinnell's situation. Maybe she has, maybe she has kids. Maybe, maybe. All I will say is that it is a bad strategy to send your teenage girl to a high school in her bra and panties. Okay, just gonna, just gonna say it's a bad idea. Okay, and it doesn't make you a bad parent to say so. It means that you're trying to protect your daughter from the fact that there are dangerous people in the world. And also because maybe your daughter doesn't want to look like a sex object all the time. Maybe she doesn't want to portray herself as a sex object. I like how the feminist movement moved from the correct opinion about pornography, that pornography was objectification of women for the pleasure of men, to pornography is empowerment of women. 
Yeah, I'm sure that all those men who are in their basements right now watching Stormy Daniels' old tapes are thinking about the empowerment of women. They're all feminists. That's what they're thinking right now. Hey, but I love this. Women who show up at the Capitol wearing women for Kavanaugh t-shirts probably tell their daughters to put on less revealing clothes. As though, that, as though say, I also like the equation. Put on less revealing clothes is the same thing as we want to make you a nun now. Okay. When did modesty become such a terrible thing? I think men should be modest too, by the way. Like I just, but let's not pretend that men don't view women as sexualized objects, especially when women wear, wear clothing that makes them more likely to be viewed as such. It's a free country. You can wear what you want. I'm not saying you shouldn't wear what you want. I'm saying I wouldn't, I would tell my daughters that because I'm not an idiot. Okay, here's, this piece continues. They're more sympathetic to Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah, who actually shooed away a crowd of women and told them to grow up. Well, right, because they were screaming at him like banshees. We played the tape on the show. And then he told them to grow up. And then they told him to grow up, which was hilarious since he's one million years old. Or Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, whose response to a woman telling him she was raped was, I'm sorry, call the cops. Which is, again, not an improper response. Like, I'm sorry that happened to you. Maybe you should talk to the authorities so we can catch the rapist and put him in jail is not a horrible response. I like that. That's, uh, when did that become a, a bad response? Like, I'm just wondering, what do you think Lindsey Graham's going to do? He's going to grab his pistol like Yosemite Sam and you're going to lead him to a house. And he's going to burst through the front door. Lindsey Graham He's going to burst through the front door. He's like, well, I guess I have to shoot this fella now because this woman without any evidence said that she was raped by you like that. That's going to happen. What do you think Lindsey Graham is going to say? You want him to say a woman comes up. She says, I was raped. You think, oh, what's he supposed to say at that point? You know what? Now that you told me you were raped, Brett Kavanaugh's a rapist. What in the. Okay. This continues, and we will get deeper into the, the insane, maze-like mind of the, of the left on these, on these women's issues in just one second. But first, first, let's talk about how you can keep your hair. So you're, you're looking up top, and you're figuring, okay, I'm losing the hair up top. And then you look at your pops, and you say, oh, my dad lost all his hair. So maybe I should get active right now in trying to stop all of that. Maybe you've noticed you have a little less hair. Well, the thing is, there are two clinically proven medications that let you keep your hair, and now they are inexpensive and easy to get. You don't need to lose your hair if you don't want to, and that's why I have to tell you about Keeps. For five minutes now, just a buck a day, you're never going to have to worry about hair loss again. A hair loss runs in my family, and that's why Keeps works for me. Getting started with Keeps is really easy. Sign up takes less than five minutes. Just answer a few questions and snap some photos. A licensed doctor remotely reviews your information, recommends the right treatment for you, all without ever leaving your couch. Keeps offers generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. Some of you probably tried them before, but you've never gotten them this easily for this price. Keeps is only 10 bucks to 35 bucks a month. Plus, now you can get your first month for free, which is a heck of a deal for getting to keep your hair. There's no reason to put it off any longer. Stop hair loss today the easy way with Keeps. To receive that first month of treatment for free, go to Keeps.com slash Ben. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash Ben. Again, free month of treatment at Keeps.com slash Ben. Keeps, hair today, hair tomorrow. Okay, so we are going to discuss more of this. Plus, I want to get to an astronaut who apologized for quoting Winston Churchill. This is a thing that actually happened in real life. We're going to get to all of that. We'll have a quick couple notes on Columbus Day as well coming up. But first, you're going to have to go over to Daily Wire and subscribe so you can see the rest of the show live. For $9.99 a month, you get the rest of the show live, the rest of Michael Moles' show live, the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live. And today, Daily Wire has launched the next chapter in Andrew Clavin's podcast series, Another Kingdom, performed by Michael Moles. Today and on every following Monday, subscribers to the Daily Wire will be able to watch new episodes of season two. If you're not a subscriber, you won't be able to watch those new episodes of season two on Mondays. You're going to have to wait until Fridays. And you'll only be able to see a few minutes of each episode, not the whole thing. 
And this season, we've added a dramatic visual component that you're not going to want to miss. The art is really, really cool. Here's a clip from the first episode of season two. Then, finally, it was dark. Time to go. With the locket still in my hand, I rolled off the bed. There was nothing to pack. I had nothing with me. I ditched my phone so no one could trace me. I'd stopped at an ATM near L.A. to stock up on cash. I couldn't use credit cards. They could trace those, too. I dismantled the GPS in my car. No internet. No social media. I was invisible. And I was utterly alone. I crossed the brown carpet to the door. I opened the door onto the night outside. There was billiard ball. He stood gigantically on the threshold, framed in the doorway with the parking lot lights glaring behind him. Before I could react, he jabbed me in the neck with a stun gun. The electric blast sent me reeling back into the room, convulsing, down to the floor. I dropped to the carpet, jerking and shuddering. My muscles were locked up, immobile. All I could do was lie there and judder and watch as Billiard Ball stepped calmly into the room and calmly shut the door behind him. His enormous shoulders were packed into a leather jacket. His muscles bulged through the thin sweater he wore underneath. He looked down at my quivering body without a smile, without a sneer, without any emotion at all. He hardly seemed interested in what he saw. He reached into his jacket and slid the little stun gun into his left inside pocket. Then he reached across into his right inside pocket and drew out a small leather case. Terror exploded inside me as I watched him unzip the case and deftly remove a syringe. I made a horrible, helpless, gurgling noise in my throat as I battled to get control of my body. It was no use. My muscles had been severed from my will. Well, head on over to dailywire.com, subscribe to watch the first and second seasons of Another Kingdom. Sadly, that was not Michael Moles' autobiography because I'd love to hear about him being tortured. But nonetheless, you can go check that out right now for $99 a year. You can get the annual subscription that comes along with our famous, our world-famous Leftist Tears Hot or Cold Mug, which has been, our Tumblr, which has been overflowing continuously. In fact, TSA made us put it aside because you're not allowed to bring more than four ounces of liquid through the TSA machines. So when you tried to bring it with us, we had, to bring, we had to cloak it, actually. So I have the cloaked version here with me today. You can go check that out right now over at dailywire.com. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. So the rampant mind loss that has taken over large swaths of the left obviously is, is being forwarded by their belief that if they just scream loud enough about how men are sexist, this will win out. Alexis Grinnell has this piece in the New York Times we're going through, and I think it's indicative of a mindset on the left that it's pretty insane. So here's the, the, she's already accused women who supported Brett Kavanaugh or any Republican of being traitors. She says, these are the kind of women who think that being falsely accused of rape is almost as bad as being raped. The kind of women who agree with President Trump that it's a very scary time for young men in America, which she said during a news conference on Tuesday. Well, it turns out you don't actually have to compare the two. Being falsely accused of rape is pretty bad. Being falsely accused of rape does indeed ruin your life, destroy your reputation, destroy your family. I don't have to compare that to rape because there's no comparison. Like, well, I don't, I don't see the necessity of, of comparing the crimes, but being falsely accused of rape is a kind of a bad thing. And when President Trump says it's a very scary time for young men in America, that is 100% true. I don't know a single mom, not a single mom with a boy who is not worried about the possibility of where all of this is going, especially considering the vagary of the nature of consent in our current political discourse. We're now living in a time when Title IX charges can be brought against basically any man on any campus for any reason without any evidence and destroy the guy's life. 
Okay, but here is, here's Alexis Grinnell continuing. The people who scare me the most are the mothers, sisters, and wives of these young men because my stupid uterus still holds out some insane hope of solidarity. First of all, I just would like to point out that this appeared in the New York Times, the most solid paper in the United States, according to folks on the left. And it printed a sentence in which a woman said that her uterus holds out hope. Uteri do not hold out hope. Uteri are an organ. It's like me saying my appendix holds out hope. Okay, she says, we're talking about white women, the same 53% who put their racial privilege ahead of their second-class gender status in 2016 by voting to uphold a system that values only their whiteness, just as they have for decades. So white women put their femininity behind them. They're not real women, is where this is going. White women aren't real women. They're just white people. They're just faceless, nameless white people, you know, like these genderless widgets of whiteness. Ooh. Since 1952, white women have broken for Democratic presidential candidates only twice in the 1964 and 1996 elections, according to an analysis by Jane Jun, a political scientist at the University of Southern California. Women of color, and specifically black women, make the margin of difference for Democrats. The voting patterns of white women and white men mirror each other much more closely, and they tend to cast their ballots for Republicans. The gender gap in politics is really a color line. Well, actually, that's not really true. The gender gap in politics is really a marriage line. If you actually look at how single people vote versus how married people vote, that's really the distinction. Married people tend to vote heavily Republican. Married women tend to vote heavily Republican. Single women tend to vote heavily Democrat. So it's not about color and it's not even about sex. It's very much about marital status. Why? Because when you have kids and you start thinking to the next generation, and when you start thinking, what's the kind of society where I want to bring up a family? And when you start thinking, you know, I have a family unit that requires protection from an overarching federal government that wants to get in my grill. Well, that changes your mind a little bit. But according to Alexis Grinnell, it's all about the whiteness. That's because white women benefit from patriarchy by trading on their whiteness to monopolize resources for mutual gain. In return, they're placed on a pedestal to be cherished and revered, as Speaker Paul Ryan has said about women, but all the while denied basic rights. This is just nonsensical. It's just nonsensical. I don't even know what that first sentence means. White women benefit from patriarchy by trading on their whiteness to monopolize resources for mutual gain. First of all, replace white with black in that sentence, and obviously it's racist. But beyond that, the idea that women are somehow trading on their sexuality in order to achieve some, some decent treatment at the hands of the patriarchy, this is, all, this is all crazy. I'm sorry, this is all crazy stuff. And if I urge Democrats to, to run down this hill screaming as, like banshees as fast as possible. Like, please go do this. Make this your electoral strategy. All those suburban white women who you're trying to gain in the next election, I urge you to scream at them and tell them that they're terrible people because they're white. Go for that. Let's do that. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. So uh, here, here's her evidence. She says, during the 2016 presidential election, did white women really vote with their whiteness in mind? Lori Frazier Yockley, a political scientist at UCLA, recently measured the effect of racial identity on white women's willingness to support Trump in 2016 and found a positive and statistically significant relationship. So white women who voted for him did so to prop up their whiteness. Or alternatively, correlation does not equal causation because that's basic mathematical and statistical science. It's It's... In the study, white women who agreed that many women interpret innocent remarks or acts as sexist were 17% more likely to vote for a Republican candidate. Right, that makes sense, because Democrats have gotten hysterical on this issue, and they have decided that everything ought to be treated as rape. When Matt Damon suggested that Matt Damon suggested there were gradations of sexual misconduct, he was run out of town on a rail by folks on the left. 
So finally, she concludes, this blood pact between white men and white women is at issue in the November midterms. President Trump knows it. And at that Tuesday news conference, he signaled to white women to hold the line. The people that have been complaining to me about it the most, about what's happening, are women. Women are very angry. Yes, women are very angry. Many mothers, many mothers are very angry. And that crosses racial lines. But this is the, the, the attempt to militarize the Me Too movement, which was supposed to be a bipartisan movement with basically universal support. No one wants to see women mistreated has now been shattered thanks to politics because the left decided that Me Too, any allegation, that under Me Too, any allegation brought against someone they like is going to be ignored and any allegation brought against someone they don't like is going to be upheld. That's the way this now works according to the left. So Me Too broke on the shoals of politics because we were all on the same side with regard to all of this stuff. But no longer. I can't be on the same side as people who want to do away with due process simply because they think that this is somehow going to enable women to vote for Democrats. Not going to do that. Okay, in just a second, I want to get to the craziest story of the day. The craziest story of the day, as it turns out, is, is it comes courtesy of an astronaut. And this astronaut's name is Scott Kelly. So Scott Kelly, I don't, is he a relation to Mark Kelly? Is he, I don't know. In any case, he's a former astronaut. He went into space in, I believe, 1999, and he got himself into hot water with the political left. Why? Well, not because Scott Kelly's actually a right-winger. He's not. He actually tweeted this out. One of the greatest leaders of modern times, Winston Churchill said, in victory, magnanimity. I guess those days are over. Now, I could argue with that tweet on the merits. A victory in magnanimity has not been part of American politics for quite a while. I'm old enough to remember when, when Joe Biden told Barack Obama that Obamacare was a big effing deal. I'm old enough to remember when Barack Obama shined a rainbow flag on the wall of the White House after Oberge fell. I'm old enough to remember after 2008 when Barack Obama simply said to Republicans, I won. I have a memory. I don't have short-term memory loss. I'm not Dory from Finding Nemo. Like, I, I remember all of this stuff happening. Okay, but now we're told that, that it's bad if you celebrate Judge Kavanaugh being appointed to the Supreme Court. But here's the part that's hilarious. So Scott Kelly isn't ripped up by the right for this tweet. Instead, he's ripped up by the left. Why? Because he had the temerity to quote Winston Churchill. He tweeted out, did not mean to offend by quoting Churchill. My apologies. I will go and educate myself further on his atrocities, racist views, which I do not support. My point it was, we need to come together as one nation. We are all Americans. That should transcend partisan politics. I will not come together with anyone who says I cannot quote Winston Churchill. Not going to happen. I will not come together with anyone who says I cannot quote Abraham Lincoln because Abraham Lincoln for most of his career, was a guy who believed in colonization of black people in Africa from the United States. He was wrong about that. That was a bad perspective. I am not going to live in a country where I can't quote Abraham Lincoln and suggest that Abraham Lincoln was, a, was not a hero. Okay, I'm not going to make common cause with people who say that I cannot quote Thomas Jefferson or George Washington or the wide variety of historical figures who were shaped by their time and held opinions that are not within the mainstream of today and are considered immoral today. You know why? Because that's idiotic. There are two visions of how the West works. Vision one, the West is based on certain fundamental good principles. And those principles were held by people who simultaneously did not live up to those principles in the fullest way, shaped as they were by the times in which they lived. This is called being historically accurate. That there are lots of good ideas embedded in times when lots of bad things are happening. And this is the same thing that folks say about, they very often use this with regard to biblical criticism. Well, the Bible is, is an immoral document because it contains things that we would not like today. So for example, it talks about slavery in the Bible. 
It's like, right, because the Bible was directed toward people who were routinely enslaving people, and the Bible was attempting to curb them from slavery, which is why, over time, the greatest advocates for freeing slaves were actually biblically-minded people in the 18th and 19th centuries. The point is that either you see the West as a repository of certain eternal truths that we have not all lived up to, or you see it as a repository of evil that must be torn down. And the same people who are saying you can't quote Churchill are the people who say we have to tear down the entire structure from the inside. It has to be torn down, root and branch, and then when we're finally done, then we can erect a new system in its place. And so they'll tell lies about Churchill. Right? Churchill said some very nasty things during his career, things we would consider nasty now. Right? He heaped racial scorn on a variety of groups ranging from the Indians to the, like, from India to the Sudanese to certain Asian tribes. But what the left has done is they've taken those comments out of context to suggest that he was in, complicit in genocide in Burma, which is not true, to suggest that he wanted to, to gas people, which is also not true. Right? He, wanted to, he suggested using tear gas against people to save their lives as opposed to using bullets, actually. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they, so they, they take all this stuff out of context. This has relevance today, not only because it demonstrates the extremism of the left, that we're now at the point where you're not allowed to quote Winston Churchill, but it explains why there's this big fight that's now taking place over Columbus Day. So on the left, the perspective is that Columbus Day is bad because Western civilization is bad, and so we must celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day on the day that Columbus discovered Hispaniola. And on the right, the perspective is Christopher Columbus and the West have committed a lot of sins, but it is an eminently good thing for the world that Western civilization found the Western Hemisphere. That's the basic argument. It's really not about Columbus. It's about the value of Western civilization. That's really at, at root. That is what the argument is about. Okay, so meanwhile, I want to talk about some things that I like, and then we'll talk about some things that I hate. So things that I like today. Heather McDonald has a fantastic, fantastic piece over at City Journal uh, in which she talks about the moving definition of rape. It's called Trauma and Truth. The feminist movement has shifted the definition of rape to include regret. And she talks specifically about it's very difficult to come to agreement on Me Too when you won't define your terms. So what she says, and she points out, is that, in pre she, here's what she says. She says, in preparation for the next Salem witch trial-like ordeal, therefore, it is worth empirically rebutting the believed survivor's mandate as well as its corollary. The claim that if most self-professed rape survivors in our patriarchal culture don't report their assaults, that's because the social and emotional costs are too high, as Co California Congressman Ted Lieu explained on MSA, MSNBC last Sunday. And the point that Heather McDonald makes is that a lot of a lot of the variability in how sexual activity takes place makes for confusion about what exactly rape is. And so when the left draws this hard line where anything a woman says rape is, is rape, what they are really doing is they are refusing to acknowledge the inherent vagaries of sexual relationships. So here's what Heather McDonald says, and this is, this is correct. In 2015, the Association of American Universities conducted a sexual assault survey at 27 selective colleges. The vast majority of survey respondents whom the AAU researchers classified as sexual assault victims never reported their alleged assaults to their college's rape hotline, sexual assault resources centers, or Title IX offices, much less to campus or city police. And the overwhelming reason the alleged victims did not report is that they did not think that what happened to them was that serious. At Harvard, for example, over 69% of female respondents who checked the box for penetration by use of force did not report the incident to any authority. Most of those non-reporters, 65%, did not think that their experience was serious enough to report. Now, why is that? That's because in college campuses, we have what is called a yes means yes standard, which means that if a woman goes through with the act of sex with a guy and they're both drunk and she wakes up the next morning and she didn't say yes at every step because she was drunk, then therefore she was raped. But in many cases, the woman says, you know what? I wasn't really raped. 
I made her, uh, I made a report, but I didn't feel it was that serious. Now, is she wrong? Is her subjective opinion wrong? Or is it possible that people are subjective in their opinions of what constitutes consent? Like there's certain hard lines that we all agree to, right? Forcible rape is rape. And then there's a bunch of gray area. And, and failing to acknowledge the gray area with regard to this stuff leads to absurdities like the yes means yes rules. No one has ever had sex with a legal checklist on hand. No one in history has ever done this. And so when people in college campuses say, you're supposed to say like, can I touch your hand now? Can I touch your shoulder now? Can I touch your knee now? There's a great episode of New Girl where, um, where well, what's the name of the star of New Girl? Uh, I, I'm trying to remember her name. Uh, you know, the, the bangs. Uh, uh, this is going to drive me crazy. In any case, she, uh, her character, who's the main character in, is, thank you, Zoe Deschanel. Her character is, is going out with a high school boyfriend and it's prom night and she wants to have sex with him. And he sits down with her and he's a feminist. And so he goes, do I have permission to touch your hand? And she's like, yes. And he has, he's like, do I have permission to touch your knee? And she's like, yes. And finally, after, finally, she's like, listen, you have permission to do anything you want. You have permission to do whatever you want. And he's like, but I don't feel comfortable with that. He said, I feel like you're getting aggressive with me now. And so she ends up running out and having sex with like some random guy behind, like in the, in the children's play area, right? Like that's it. Because no one actually operates like this. Okay, no one operates like this. And that's not to suggest that bad things don't happen to women. Terrible things happen to women all the time. That's true. But we actually have to define our terms if you want all of us to agree on things. I want to agree with these women. I want to believe victims. I want to believe survivors. I want to. But I have to know what definitions we're using and I have to know what the corroborative evidence is. Otherwise, we have just a moving standard, a moving target. Uh, like a good example. You remember when the entire left went nuts over Aziz Ansari inviting a woman back to his apartment whom he had sex with? And then she was like, oh yeah, I was raped. And you read her story and there was nothing in there that suggested she was sexually assaulted or raped. Nothing. And they went nuts over it anyway. And you had to apologize. Like, do I think that this has become a moral panic? Yes, I think this has become a moral panic. Heather McDonald's piece is really good. She says, our booze-fueled hookup culture has made relations between men and women messier than ever, leaving many girls and women with pangs of regret, but those regrets do not equal rape. If we were actually in the midst of an epidemic of sexual assault, as New Jersey Senator Cory Booker asserted the evening of the Ford Kavanaugh hearings, we would presumably have seen women and girls take protective actions, such as avoiding frat parties and flocking to single-sex schools. None of those protective actions has occurred, however. Either women are too clueless to avoid patent danger, or the epidemic of sexual assault is a fiction. All evidence points to the latter consideration. It's a good piece by Heather McDonald, and she is in large part correct. Okay, other things that I like. So I have to give props to Banksy. Not a big fan of Banksy's art, but I will say that this was an amazing, amazing prank. So Banksy created a painting of a girl with a balloon and sold it at a Sotheby's auction. It went for, I think, $1.4 million. And he had his art rigged so that when the final gavel was sounded, the painting would begin to shred itself. It would go through the bottom the sort of the bottom barrier of the of the frame and actually physically shred, which is hilarious because the truth is that the value of art is entirely subjective. It's entirely subjective and it's based on artificial scarcity. And he's making that point. So I have to I have to give it to Banksy. I think it's a pretty good prank. And he'll sell the thing for more money after it's been half shredded because now he made a meta point. Because this is what art is. It's not really appreciation of the art, it's appreciation of the meta point of the message. So I think Banksy may not even understand the, the amount to which he's mocking the art community. I think he thinks he's mocking capitalism, but he's actually mocking the subjectivity of art. But nonetheless, it's pretty funny. Here's some video. Okay, 
Okay, and then look to the wall. Uh-oh, there goes the painting. And the, si and the audience goes silent and shocked. Oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> People can't believe it. So, that's pretty funny. So, good times. All right, uh, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so... Uh, Pete Davidson was on SNL over the weekend. SNL has just been egregious this season because folks on the left are utterly incapable of making light of the events happening. They, they, it's, for, for folks on the left, the feeling that they have down in the pit of their stomachs is that their brother just died. And because their brother just died, how can you joke about your brother just dying? So instead, you just get kind of bitter and cynical and nasty. And that's basically what you're seeing from SNL these days. So Pete Davidson did a the weekend update on SNL, apparently wearing one of Hillary Clinton's like long sleeve t-shirts. I mean, he, he's like wearing an, a tangerine, tan, I don't even know what he's wearing. It's like a tangerine orange kind of long sleeve t-shirt. It looks like he was picking up stuff on the side of the road before he came in. In any case, he goes off on Kanye West. Why? Because Kanye West was on SNL the previous week and had worn his MAGA hat and then talked about how people weren't tolerant of opposing viewpoints. So Pete Davidson decides that he's going to show his tolerance of opposing viewpoints by telling Kanye to, as the left might say, shut up and dribble. So speaking strictly for myself, uh, what Kanye said after he went off the air last week was one of the worst, like, most awkward things I've ever seen here. And I've seen Chevy Chase speak to an intern. <laughs> and we all had to stand behind him. And, and here's what it looked like. So, like, I'm, like, on the left. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> and then I'm like, I want a career. So I leave. <laughs> Being mentally ill is not an excuse to act like a jackass. Okay? <laughs> And then he went on to say, I, I, Kanye's a genius at art, but he doesn't know anything about politics. You're a comedian, dude. Like, you're on SNL, and yet you know something about politics? I, I'm old enough to remember. I keep using that phrase today because the hypocrisy of the left is so strong. I'm old enough to remember when Laura Ingram was ripped up and down for suggesting that LeBron James should shut up and dribble because he knew basketball, but that didn't mean he knew politics. And I said at the time, anybody's entitled to their opinion on politics, but we get to assess whether those opinions are smart or not. Kanye is entitled to his opinion on politics. And listen, this is coming from the guy who said, live by the Kanye, die by the Kanye. But when folks on the left suddenly discover that Kanye West is a celebrity and maybe celebrities don't have the smartest takes on politics, it's kind of ironic and kind of silly. Okay, other things that I hate. So CNN's original headline on this story was just terrible. The original headline was, Israelis report that Palestinian kills two Israelis in terror attack. Wasn't that a Palestinian killed two people in a terror attack. Their original report suggested that it was a workplace violence incident, which is absurd. What actually happened is that over the weekend, a 27-year-old Israeli named Kim Yechezkel was tied up and executed point blank by a Palestinian co-worker in the West Bank, a place where Jews and Arabs work together. The Palestinian Authority obviously will give money to the terrorist family. She, she leaves behind a baby daughter and a husband. Uh, she was one of two people who was killed. There's a picture of her, obviously a very beautiful young woman. Um, and she was murdered for the crime of being a Jew and living in Judea and Samaria. That's exactly what happened here. The media covered it, as they always do, as the predictable effect of occupation, which is pretty astonishing that if you are working at a factory next to Arabs with whom you share a life and one of them murders you, that this is because of your religion, specifically because of your religion, then it must be because of global factors. There can't be personal responsibility on any level here. We have to assume that people don't have freedom of action. Okay, so that, that's a great tragedy. I believe there's a GoFundMe for the family. I'll try and tweet it out a little bit later if I can find it. 
Okay, uh, let, let's do a quick Federalist paper since we've been remiss the last few weeks. So we are all the way up to Federalist 46. In this Federalist paper, Madison is wrong. So here is where Madison is wrong. James Madison argues in favor of the notion that the people will be more loyal to the states than they are to the federal government. So this is still true in like Texas and not true pretty much anywhere else. I live in California. No one is more loyal to the state of California than they are to the federal government. No one. That's just not the way it works. No one says, I'm a Californian. That's, that's not how it, it operates. But Madison says, truth no less than decency requires that the event in every case should be supposed to depend on the sentiments and sanction of their common constituents. Many considerations, besides those suggested on a former occasion, seem to place it beyond doubt that the first and most natural attachment of the people will be to the governments of their respective states. And originally, of course, this was true. At the time of the founding, people were more loyal to the state of Virginia than they were to the federal government, which is why, note to leftists, the Senate requires two votes per state. Because the only way the states were going to sign on is if they felt that they had enough insurance against the popular vote that they could afford to sign on to a federal constitution. Smaller states didn't want their authority withdrawn from them without their permission, not on the basis of having a smaller population. That's why there is a United States Senate today. Madison argues the only way the federal government could ever earn the appreciation of the people would be terrific administration. He says, if the people should in the future become more partial to the federal than the state government, the change would only result from manifest and irresistible proofs of a better administration. That obviously is untrue. He missed the, the point, which is that if the federal government grows and grows and grows and encroaches and encroaches and encroaches slowly and more slowly, then people would just get used, like, like a lobster in a pot, they just get used to the heat. They just get used to the federal government being deeply important in their lives. And then he adds that the federal government would seriously take into account state interests, just as state legislatures take into account county interests. But he says in the end, and this is the point that the left really doesn't want to acknowledge because it ties into Second Amendment rights. He says that the states, if the federal government got too big for its britches, the states would, would cut it down to size. He says the disquietude of the people, the repugnance and perhaps refusal to cooperate with the officers of the union, the frowns of the executive magistracy of the state, the embarrassments created by legislative devices, which would often be added on such occasions, would oppose in any state difficulties not to be despised would form in a large state very serious impediments and where the sentiments of several adjoining states happen to be in unison would present obstructions the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter. In other words, if you start encroaching on states' rights, the states will fight back against you and they will stop you from such encroachments. This is the reason why people in Texas don't want to give up their guns to the federal government because they believe that if you give up your guns, you're giving up all your other rights as well. He says the only real problem would be federal power for its own sake. And he says that would never happen because the state governments with the people on their side would be able to repel the danger. So Madison was pretty clear about what the function of states and arms ownership was in Federalist 46. Okay, well, we'll be back here tomorrow with all the latest tonight. We're at University of Buffalo. So go check us out at yaf.org slash live to watch. I'm going to be going off on radical feminism. That is the topic of tonight's speech, all new material. So it should be a lot of fun. We'll see you then. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. 
Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 